Welcome to Answers May Vary. Each week, we listen to your dilemmas and try to come up with workable solutions you can put into place to start improving your teaching life today. I'm Kate Harkins. And I'm Stephanie Handley. And together with you, we are Three Heads. Today's dilemma is more existential, I would say. (laughs) Like, big picture, maybe we're not going to change it, our single selves, but but it's a good question. It's a good question. It's a good question, and I'm curious to see how the discussion will go. (laughs) I can't help but wonder if we're really providing our students with the skills they most need outside of high school. Is there still a place for traditional ELA instruction, or does it need an update? Oh, that's a hard question to answer. (laughs) I've honestly thought more about it since leaving the classroom. I think (laughs) while I was teaching, I often felt like in that bubble. I just never left school. You know, I taught, I went to K through 12 and then college (laughs) and then taught. And I think it was like, well, of course, traditional English language arts instruction is necessary and important. And Mm -hmm. I could rattle off all the reasons for it and why you still read the classics and this and that. Mm -hmm. And I think partly just the debates about education that have opened up since the pandemic, but also getting out of the classroom and into the real world, watching now how most people live their lives and what most people do for their jobs. There are actually really relevant reading and writing skills that our students could benefit from Mm -hmm. that aren't necessarily the Mm -hmm. traditional skills that we always think Mm of. Mm -hmm. For myself, I always looked at it as my job was to teach students how to think. It wasn't to teach a particular book, a particular skill, but those were the vehicles that I used to teach how to think. So Mm -hmm. that was always how I tried to approach it. Mm -hmm. But I do think that there is a place for the traditional ELA Mm -hmm. instruction, but then there's also room for more. (laughs) Yeah. And of course, there is value in reading the traditional texts that we've always assigned and mm-hmm. and in learning how to analyze literature. And obviously, we worked together for a long time. So I share Kate's perspective on focusing on the thinking skills and mm-hmm. that, that sort of thing. But the world is changing in some ways that our students are leaving school, maybe not prepared for mm-hmm. the types of tasks they'll be asked to do in the workplace. Mm-hmm. I think also, though, there's an unfair expectation that teachers, whatever their discipline, would be experts in all of those areas. And I just think you wouldn't necessarily expect that in other professions. You don't go to your eye doctor and expect that your eye doctor could also perform brain surgery. (laughs) You would never expect that. But We expect our teachers Mm -hmm. to have this breadth of knowledge that they couldn't possibly have. And we don't provide access to or we don't equip them with what they need in order to be able to extend themselves beyond their knowledge base. Mm -hmm. It's like, why does traditional ELA instruction look like traditional ELA instruction? And it's like, Well, because if you're an ELA teacher, you are an expert in traditional (laughs) traditional ELA instruction, ELA content. (laughs) 
So of <laughs> course, what you're an expert in is going to be what you focus on. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, can you have other areas of subject expertise and be an English teacher? Yes, but then we judge those people and are like, oh, well, you don't actually really know what you're doing yeah. and that kind of thing. So I don't know. It's, as we said at the beginning, like it's a way larger question yes. than we can answer. But I do think that it requires a full shift mm-hmm. in the whole educational landscape. Which we all know that's necessary, but probably not happening anytime <laughs> soon. <laughs> I think one of the things, you know, in leaving the classroom, I've been noticing so much is There are so many jobs that require writing, Mm -hmm. but not necessarily in exactly the way we teach it in school. I Mm -hmm. think especially now with social media and the internet marketing in the form of social media posts and blogging, there's a lot of jobs that require you to do Mm -hmm. some of that writing. And it it has its basis in some of the things we often teach, Mm -hmm. but it also has a little bit more of its own formulas sometimes. We tend to ignore hooks because they're hard to write. And Mm -hmm. yet they would actually be really helpful things for students to know how to write well Mm -hmm. outside of the classroom. And Mm -hmm. I think there's just such a broad number of jobs now that require that kind of voice, creative, persuasive writing, but not necessarily in the ways we normally teach it. Mm -hmm. And I think that could really benefit our students to start learning some of those structures and ideas. I do think so. But again, I think it requires having shifted from (laughs) writing for (laughs) the purpose of like analyzing literature to now writing for marketing purposes. If I had come up with an assignment that was like, write a blog about what how I would have thought about Mm -hmm. that as somebody who had only been an English teacher, the way that I would have structured that assignment and what I would have been looking for would never be what somebody who would actually be in the profession would think was valuable. Because it's or it's like diametrically opposed to what you think. Yeah. Other than like we both want it to be grammatically correct. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's so true. And I think I have no plans to go back to the classroom, but it is one of those things where like having been outside, mm-hmm. I would now bring that in. But mm-hmm. yeah, when I was in the classroom, I'm not going to learn how to write like blogs and marketing. And I was tutoring a student who is taking an econ class and I loathe helping her with this project because there's a lot of issues with it. It's not well explained. It's a lot of work and a lot of things. But part of it is they're supposed to put together a business plan um, oh, yeah. With Doesn't everybody right. do that in econ? <laughs> minimal, minimal help. And then the resources the teacher did provide are not helpful. And then as I look through the, you know, the what she's supposed to do, I'm like, this isn't how you start a business, which mm-hmm. look at me like <laughs> one year out of the classroom. And I'm like, oh, it's my <laughs> apprenticeship in business school. Mm-hmm. It's, I think, intended to be like, oh, we'll prep them for the real world by having them present a business plan. But None of that is actually going to help them in the way business is done now. But again, I feel sorry for teachers that this is a great idea. Yeah. I remember when I did the (laughs) business plan in (laughs) high school as a fun project, but provide the teachers with that material so that they can create an authentic Mm -hmm. experience. But we don't have that equipment to be able to do that. 
What we do maybe have a little bit more access to is the formal business letter. I think it feels so outdated sometimes Mm -hmm. to think about a business letter, but I've still had to write them a few Mm -hmm. times. I I know people who do. And even more if we kind of shape that into like a business email, right? And how do you convey information? How do you officially complain to a politician or Mm -hmm. the head of your district about a policy you disagree with? There is benefit in learning how to write professional emails and not just in the easy beginning of the year way where you say like, oh, send me an email and format it like, dear Miss Hanley, comma, please, I need to check my grade, whatever it is. But actually like a substantial email with professional content in it, I think there's value in that as well. It's something that I think we skip over a lot of times because it doesn't Mm -hmm. seem as necessary as a literary analysis essay for us. But I'm realizing like, hey, they're probably going to write more business letters and emails than. (laughs) And I think lots of times business people will be like, yeah, you don't have to write emails like that. You don't have to do, you don't have to be formal like that. And I think once you're in, Mm -hmm. you probably don't have to. It is pretty informal, but there's still that element of, I don't know if it's like gatekeeping or what it is, (laughs) where to get in, you have to show this level Mm -hmm. of professionalism. So maybe once you have the job, you can write your informal email. But in order to get the Mm -hmm. job, you have to write this professional email that is sort of like the cover letter for your Mm -hmm. resume or, or whatever. So I think that there's still a place for it, even when people in business are like, oh, well, you don't have to do that. Well, but you did to get the job, right? Yeah. <laughs> and you also, I'm I'm learning that you actually can rise above when you know how to write well. Yeah. There's a company that I work for that they'll be so impressed with something that I wrote. And I'm like, oh, I just, that's not a big deal. I'm an English <laughs> teacher. And, but it does really differentiate you in the workplace mm-hmm. when you're able to write. Maybe what it is, is that outside of the realm of English, it's not that you notice bad writing, but that you notice good writing. Yes. And so when you're dealing with business, it's like, well, n- none of these people are writers. So we're just <laughs> communicating here. You were just, as long as I understand what you're saying, it's fine. But then when you have that person who is able to communicate their ideas, but then they do it with good writing, yeah. it's like, wow, you notice the good writing. Yeah. And I think especially the more, and I guess this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, but the way you phrased that reminded me so much of, especially in a world now with chat GPT, where a lot of marketers are kind of using that as a rough draft or a starting point. And yet, unless you put a personal authentic voice Mm -hmm. on it and that creative element, it's not going to attract people. And so that idea of becoming a good writer with an authentic voice, that is still a really valuable skill. Yeah. Chat GPT may give you the outline, (laughs) but there's no real ideas there. (laughs) Just the kind of generic ones your students are probably already (laughs) writing. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, I'm as good as AI. (laughs) Something that I think that we have all as teachers been thinking about Mm -hmm. over the past 15 years or so (laughs) is the need for an increase in technology Mm -hmm. skills. But I think it's a a need for basic technology skills. I know with my own son, he has a Chromebook that he uses at school all the time, and he is 
very technologically savvy and can troubleshoot a load of problems, but the child can't type to save his life. (laughs) And so it's like we've almost sort of skipped some of these basic technology skills with the digital natives. (laughs) So we have this population that has had unbelievable levels of access to technology their entire lives. And they can run circles around us on some things. But then there are other things where it's like, oh, well, I guess nobody ever taught you this basic skill. I feel like this kind of blurs a lot of our ideas into one larger Mm -hmm. conversation here. But the ability to create a non-hideous Google Slides presentation (laughs) is, I mean, just, again, some of the students I work with, if you got up and presented this at a business meeting, like, you would get laughed out of the room. They don't They don't know, they don't care to learn about centering things or appropriate font sizes. And, you know, Canva is like the tool outside of the classroom these days. And Mm -hmm. yet our students are dropping some clip art onto a Google slide. And I mean, the typing, and this doesn't speak to us as English teachers, but the level of coding they should know now is just unreal as I'm working with more and more students applying for computer science majors Mm -hmm. and things. That's something that I would like to say as English teachers should never fall on our plate. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) There will be no way that you will convince me that that falls under our purview. No. Ever. (laughs) Definitely not. It gives me heart palpitations (laughs) when I see what these kids are doing. But like Kate said, there's this kind of, oh, well, they're digital natives. They don't need to learn these things. But Mm -hmm. actually, we're doing them a huge disservice by not teaching them how to type and Mm -hmm. even how to use Google correctly. Like Their Googling skills are horrible. And even you hear all the time post-pandemic, I think we went so far to one extreme, but because we had to, that now it's like, well, don't put the kids on the computers. Like Zoom is bad, but that's how the world works outside of school now is everything is on Zoom and Google Meets and Slack and whatever. We can't pretend that those aren't necessary skills Mm -hmm. just because we had to use them during the pandemic. (laughs) Right. I think another one that is, I don't know that this is like English in particular, but Mm -hmm. I think there would be so much value in our students whether they're required to take the course or if it's just more intentional SEL instruction. But um, just the the basics of psychology, I think, would be really helpful for our students. We talk so much about mental health and the massive need for social-emotional learning. And it's been really interesting. I've been teaching a, a psychology course and It's fascinating to me and to the students, but Mm -hmm. I think our SEL instruction would be so transformed if it had a basis in facts, because I think when you just tell a room full of 14-year-olds, okay, everybody, we're going to do some deep breathing exercises, Mm -hmm. it's not meaningful. Like it it doesn't work. It feels ridiculous. No one wants to do it. And yet when you explain, okay, well, your body has gone into fight or flight mode and the Mm -hmm. way that we trip it to go out of that is to take a few deep breaths. Mm -hmm. I just think that it could become a much more meaningful activity for our students because there is a need for it, obviously. And I think if we could ground that in a little bit more learning, that would be really helpful. And then we'll come back to Yes, but you ask (laughs) teachers who are not psychologists, you say, you need to teach SEL and you give them, I don't know, a PowerPoint or something about it, a handout about it, and they're just supposed to be experts. No, you have to provide the information 
for them, we just always expect teachers, well, we're resourceful people. They'll figure it out on their own. And that's not fair to do. Right. Or just because I have a homeroom, I'm now qualified (laughs) to manage your therapy for the year. No, I don't have those skills and resources. And I don't have time to deep dive psychology to create a meaningful PowerPoint for you or what, excuse me, Google Slides. No one uses PowerPoint anymore. But (laughs) yeah, it is like we're asking individual teachers to do stuff that's so far outside of their area of expertise. And yet on a larger scale level, we got to get this stuff in Mm -hmm. because the world is changing and there's different things that our students need. Yeah. I think what I thought when we were in the classroom was that what we got in terms of these sort of things was basically like a fraction of an inch beyond what our students got. I appreciate that you think I'm so intelligent. (laughs) I don't need any further explanation. But I think, I don't know if it's over-assuming or under-assuming. Do they think that teachers have the time, inclination, motivation, brain space (laughs) to go find this information on their own and fill in the blanks? Or do you assume we're just sort of like animatronic puppets anyway (laughs) and just tell us what you need to tell us and we'll just parrot it for you? You have to give teachers enough information that they feel like they know where things are coming from in order to be able to convey that information. And I feel like the only solution we ever get for something like that is, well, let's put together a committee. Yes. <laughs> let's just have 10 <laughs> teachers volunteer to do all this extra research. No. How about we hire a psychologist who mm-hmm. will create this program for us? Mm-hmm. Asking teachers to do it on committees, not solving the problem. Right. <laughs> Having more people who don't really know. <laughs> the blind leading the blind. Another thing that would be helpful to focus on would be things related to college planning and study skills and and things like that, that are not necessarily, I think we have a tendency to think we dump everything on ELA, which we We do. do. (laughs) And that college planning goes hand in hand with ELA because a certain percentage of our students are going to apply to a school where they need to write an essay. (laughs) And that just is so frustrating because (laughs) it's like, well, you know, they're also going to have to take a math test too. So- Why don't you put it on math? Kate, it was so weird. I was talking to a student the other day who was getting ready for their AP US history test. And they were like, "Um, yeah, we got really behind because we had to do this counseling thing through history. And I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Nah, that goes through English, doesn't it? (laughs) Anything that goes to all students has to go through English, I thought. (laughs) What do you mean your history class got behind? But I, I think that things like college planning, study skills, they're about sort of learning frameworks, mm-hmm. learning systems, learning what goes into being successful. And I think that that could be applied to any yeah. subject matter. And the more that we show in a transparent manner, these are the things that you need to do in order to be successful in this class. Mm -hmm. And if you do X, Y, and Z, you are setting yourself up on the road to success. Then things like planning for college or understanding study skills, those just sort of fall into that 
okay, well, there's an approach to doing Mm -hmm. things. I think that we keep too much as sort of a magical, you just somehow figure it out on your own. And that's not really the case. It's sort of like, if you do these things, does that mean you're going to go to Harvard? No. But (laughs) does it mean that you're going to be on the road to being Mm -hmm. able to go to college? Mm -hmm. Yes. Is that, does that mean you're going to get an A on your test? No, but it means that you know these are the things that you need to do in order to go into that test and be as prepared as you can be. So I think it's just an element of making things clear. My feeling with things like college planning and study skills and things like that is like if you don't have a parent who is a a teacher, yeah, then they have their own experience and experience of close family members, Mm -hmm. maybe. So it's giving people that information and making it available and accessible to all that makes it and that's more helpful. So helpful, especially when you work in a low income area, because mm-hmm. it, this is something that I give a whole thesis on the inequities <laughs> in our college <laughs> application system these days. But mm-hmm. it's something that higher income students can pay to outsource that work. And yet many of our students can't do that. And and yet, gosh, like the gaming of the college application system it has just gotten so out of control and mm-hmm. the the extent to which it has become a business. And more than anything, our students need to learn about colleges that are not on the top 100 of US News and World Report. There are so many colleges out there that will give you a great education at a fraction of the cost. Yeah. And yet we still as teachers are like Stanford, Harvard, UCLA. Yeah. And no, let's do our research project on small schools no one's ever heard of and, mm-hmm. and just things like that, that I think our students would benefit so much from. Yeah. I don't know if you've just sent us this question in order to hurt our brains. <laughs> I think that ultimately, the answer to the question is super obvious that yes, there needs to be massive changes and massive overhauls. But I don't know that it's a change or an overhaul that can take place in a single teacher's classroom Mm -hmm. or in a single school. Yeah, I think it's something that needs to shift within society. Mm -hmm. And I think, unfortunately, there's not a huge interest (laughs) in making meaningful shifts in education. Yeah in society. I think it's more become a place of like, well, just you deal with them mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and then release them when they can become employed, yeah. or, you know, <laughs> when they can move out and do their own thing. I don't think that we're looking at education right now and probably haven't for a long time, if ever, mm-hmm. looking at education as what is best for the individual's who attend every day and whose lives we're trying to enrich, it's almost like it it doesn't seem to really be about them. It's about something bigger than them. And it's about politics and it's about the status quo and doing what's always been done. Yeah. And and I, I just think that until that shift happens, yes, you can make changes in your own classroom, Mm -hmm. but I don't know I don't know what the long-term impact is when you do that. Yeah. (laughs) Not enough of our students ever came back. Use your voice and advocate, right? (laughs) Like (laughs) we got to speak 
speak, what is it, the squeaky wheel gets the grease? Yeah, (laughs) I think it's definitely a conversation worth having. And it's important for the right people to have those conversations. And sadly, I don't know that teachers having the conversation is the answer. And I don't even think that teachers having the conversation with administrators Mm -hmm. is the answer. Or even with like state representatives and things like, I don't even think that's the answer. I think it's so, so big because it requires a societal shift to be made. And I think it's going to require a dismantling and rebuilding. And Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone's going to want to take the time to do that. And so I think, unfortunately, we end up with kind of these haphazard attempts to shoehorn real world skills in in ways that aren't always helpful. Yeah. Which is kind of a downer to I know it's like such a bummer. (laughs) (laughs) Um we don't usually end on a sad note, but I don't know how else to end this podcast. (laughs) So I feel like it's going to end on a sad note. On a sad note. We, though, would be very curious to know what your thoughts are on education and where it is and where it can go and where it should go and what our responsibilities to students are. Because I think at the end of the day, teachers, more than anybody else, feel an obligation to students. Yeah. And I think that's great, but we're such a small piece of the puzzle, unfortunately. So we would be very curious to know what your thoughts are. You can, of course, email us at hello at threeheads.works. You can send us a DM on Instagram, threeheads.works. If you have a dilemma you'd like to talk to us about or you'd like to hear us talk about, we would prefer to be one where we can provide practical strategies. (laughs) (laughs) We'd just feel better about ourselves that way. We'd love to hear them. So go ahead, email us at hello at threeheads.works. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Chat soon. Bye. Bye.